0: Reeling from all the terrible news but not sure how to take action?
1: I'm Kelly. I'm Lila. And this is What Can I Do? Each week, we interview activists about how they took action, what got them started, who helped them along the way, and what they'd do differently next time. In
0: the process, we offer concrete advice on how to take the leap from freaking out on Twitter to making a
1: difference. So let's get started. Hi, everyone. I am Kelly Pollock. This is What Can I Do, the podcast where we help you figure out what to do even when it's right after an election and you're feeling like lost and, and struggling for the next thing. I am here with my co-host, Lila Nordstrom. Hello, Lila. Hey, Kelly. How are you? I am ready for the next thing.
0: That's right. <laughs> Today, we have Alyssa Fetter from Rising Organizers here to tell us a little bit about what the next thing could be. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your work?
2: Sure. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me here. I am the co-founder and executive director of Rising Organizers. We train people who are new to organizing and activism on the core skills that they need to be successful. So these are your everyday activists, your suburban moms, your young people, people who know there's a problem in the world but don't necessarily know how to address it, which is why I'm so excited that this podcast exists and that I'm here because it is so in line with what our mission is. I was so excited to to see it exist. So thank you for having me. Uh, About me, I grew up in a um, I grew up in New Jersey in a pretty conservative social movement uh, space and saw the way that people power could work from a really young age. And when I became more progressive as I got older, I wanted to figure out a way to utilize that same people power to advance social justice causes. And so I have been an organizer for 10 years. I've been a trainer at various progressive institutions, including most recently as the training director at EMILY's List. And now I'm the full-time ED here at Rising Organizers. So that's a little bit about me little bit about our work so excited to be here and to talk to you guys
1: so I have what seems like a very basic question but I suspect there are people out there listening who have the same question so I'm going to ask it and that is what the heck is organizing (laughs) I knew it I knew that was the question you're going to ask and I'm
2: ready okay so there are many types of organizing the type of organizing that people see the most of is campaign organizing where you're turning out people to vote, or what we would actually call mobilizing, turning people out for a protest. So if your listeners have ever been to a protest and then thought, what did that actually accomplish? It's probably because it wasn't actually organizing. It was mobilizing, which is a different thing. You can use it as part of an organizing structure, but it's not the same. Organizing, as we define it, is bringing people together around a specific issue to create long-term policy or outcomes change around that issue. So organizing around the environment over the long term to get specific legislation passed or to have new state emission standards implemented, that is organizing. Um, thinking about how you could create systems that fund abortions rather than having to have abortion funds, which are incredibly important, very helpful, but are ultimately not going to change the fact that Republicans are trying to make abortion illegal for everybody. Right. So these are our core questions of organizing and the way that we think about organizing is building long-term power with grassroots organizers and individual everyday people to shift the way that things happen in our country.
0: I wouldn't, I want to talk a little bit about long game versus short game thinking, because you raised that. And that's something I know, like from my, own advocacy background, you know, a lot of the time you have to really think about what the long-term loss you experienced is giving to a longer-term uh, win and, you know, how, how you want to sort of frame the, the experiences that make up your organizing journey. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, how long-term thinking works in organizing spaces and how you kind of frame that for yourself?
2: Great question. So we, advising organizers, we start out our organizing with two basic points. The first is that organizing works. We are living with the benefits of the organizers that have come before us from the Civil Rights Act to the Americans with Disabilities Act to gay marriage. Organizers fought for this, organizers won. And it took them a long time, which is the second point, which is that we're gonna have to be in this work for a long time because it is hard. I wish it was easy if it was easy then none of the three of us would be here we would having podcasts about any of the other many topics that i'm sure we care about that i no longer am able to keep track of because i'm too obsessed with organizing we'd be at brunch you both seem like wonderful brunch friends brunch friends um and those two things are really the central piece of what we teach we want people to be here for the long term because that's the only way we're going to win against really entrenched dynamics And also, we know that we will win. That doesn't mean every organizing campaign wins, but it does mean that if we're going to win, organizing is going to be key to getting us there. How do I think about that for myself? I think for me, it's about fortification. My job is to be a structure, to be a wall that people can see being steady in this space and can teach other people how to be steady in this space too. So in a lot of ways, my job is just to be an organizing cheerleader, just to tell people that it works and that there will be losses, unbelievable losses until the day you win. But if you don't fight, you have nothing but losses ahead of you. So it's worth a shot.
1: So you're training organizers around organizing, but it's not for a a particular issue. It could be they could be taking this out and using it in lots of different issues. What are the, the things that sort of are common? I assume there's some differences in the way you might organize between, you know, environmental rights and abortion access or something. But what are the things that are in common that you can use sort of regardless of what the issues are?
2: Also a great question, Kelly. We think about our work as building movements that have a shared set of strategies and values. Those values are intersectional, anti-racist, anti-sexist movements. And if we all have a shared set of values and a shared set more or less of tactics that we think work, then actually what we're all trying to build is kind of the same thing. So we're all working in these different movements But the world we're trying to build is one of greater liberation. So to answer your question, we don't teach things any differently on different issues. Different issues, of course, have different dynamics. They have different politics. They have different obstacles. There are different communities of people that you need to organize around or people you have to move in every issue. But the strategic principles remain the same. And a lot of what we really try and encourage is for folks to get really clear on what you really care the most about and commit yourself to that. Because so many of us very rightfully see the way that everything is connected to each other. That's good, we should do that. If we are building environmental movements that are not anti-racist and grounded in environmental justice, we will lose We will harm people and we will lose. And so we want to make sure that all of our movements are grounded in different intersections. And also, it is best to be in community with people who share your values, who are working on the issues that matter the most to them, and to trust that together, we're going to get to the promised land. If I have enough folks in my fellowship who care about, and this is something our fellows love, Everybody comes into the fellowship, which is a nine week long program, nine session long program with a different thing they wanna work on. And one of the things that they love is that they can commit themselves to healthcare while knowing exactly who is working on racial justice and the different approaches and how it can influence their work and all sorts of other things. And so that is how um, I would answer your question is that we actually don't teach anything different between the different tactics There's political education that we do that is a little bit different on different issues, but that what we're trying to do is actually build a shared movement with a grounding in the same set of principles and values to get us where we're trying to go.
0: I want to go off of something that I heard you say, because we talk a lot about people finding actions that kind of fit their personality type and fit their skills a lot. And organizing can look like a lot of different things. Like I've always said um, that I'm, I always have said I'm not a particularly gifted organizer in the way that people often think about it because I'm not, organized in the sense i'm not good at keeping track of logistics kelly knows me this neither this. for the record um Terrible right i'm i'm a good spokesperson i'm a, there's things i'm good at but that's not one of the things that i'm good at i want to talk a little bit about what some of the common skills and roles people can have in organizing spaces and the roles that they can play in organizing spaces with those different skills because i want to address how people who kind of see their skills being in different areas can all participate in organizing spaces?
2: That is a great question. So I'm going to point your listeners to a resource, if I may, and also talk about it, which is a social change ecosystem map by an organizer whose name is Deepa Iyer. That's D-E-E-P-A-I-Y-E-R. And this social change ecosystem map lays out a bunch of different ways that people can be involved in organizing spaces. And they include things like, like builders. I'm a builder. I love building new stuff as evidenced by me building this thing. But there's also people who are storytellers who share their story. People who are caregivers who care for the community. Um, I'm looking at the chart right now. People who are, Weavers, people who bring different people together. So there's lots of different ways out there. And I would really suggest that folks take a look at Deepa, Va- Deepa Iyer's chart on that. The way that I think about it more broadly, in addition to this very useful tool, is really with an understanding that what you see publicly about organizing is not the entirety of organizing. And you know this, Lila, just going off of what you just said, you're a great spokesperson, but not necessarily great at logistics, same. Um, there's always going to be room for people's strengths in the movement. And the thing that I see people lagging behind on is belief in that fact. Like every, Everything is needed. We are trying to get to a world that does not exist that we have never seen before in which we all have the rights and privileges that we deserve. That's going to require everybody. And so if that is you're good at doing I mean, there's there's literally activist knitters out there. You had them on your show, didn't you? Um, like if you're good at knitting, if you're good at bringing people together into a room, if you're good at baking cookies, all of these things can be used to be sustained for the movement, even if you are not someone who likes to be up in front of a room screaming into a bullhorn. And for the record, I will say that in organizing, you might find your voice in a new way. I'll tell a short story, um, which is that one of our alums, her name's Hannah, came into our fellowship program, the very first fellowship program, and said that she only wanted to do logistics. She was not interested in being in front of the room at all. She wanted to just know how it worked so she could tell people who were really in charge what to do. And we were like, Hannah, you're the one who's here. No one else is here. You're in charge. You're the one who's learning how to do this. And around, I don't know, two months after the fellowship ended, I found this picture on Facebook of Hannah leading a protest with a bullhorn and so that's the magic of organizing. You don't have to do that, right? You don't have to become someone who stands in front of a room and does something, but you might be surprised as to what you're capable of, but you're only gonna get there if you try.
1: So of course, one of those important skills is training. And mm-hmm. so that is something that that you have discovered that, that you're good at and that you can do. Can you talk a little bit about how you sort of figured out that that was your passion and something that that you were good at and that the kind of skills that go into
2: that? These are some of the most interesting questions I've ever been asked in a podcast. You can cut that or you can keep that, but really just very thoughtful. Um, you gotta keep it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, that's true, it's true. Um, um how did i figure out that i was good at training so i'll I'll tell you a little bit about how we got started because i think that answers the question which is that um in november of 2016 some stuff happened and people reacted to that in many different ways and I saw, and my friends saw, that there was a lot of organizing, people wanting to maintain democratic structures, and we do think of ourselves as a a democracy-facing organization. We are trying to build a more robust participatory democracy. People who are trying to get involved but didn't know where to start or how to do it well, the ethos of this podcast. And I was one of the many people, I and my friends, were some of the many people who were trying to figure out how to blend the skills we already had with the crisis that we were experiencing. And we knew how to organize. We knew how to teach it because we'd been doing that in a student group that we were a part of. And so we put up this training called Organizing for Non-Organizers. I thought 20 people would show up. 200 people showed up. And they just kept coming. And so partially I figured out that I was a good trainer or that training was important because I had to. If I'm a, I I think of organizing as service work. If people are showing up and they need to be served in this way, then I'm going to supply it for them. I have the capacity. I have the skills. I have the time. I have the talent. And so I don't think I, I mean, I know I was not always a good, a good trainer. It's just something that I saw was missing and I had the luxury and the joy of enough co-conspirators to help me get better at it and get better at it together. I have a pretty big team um, to meet that need. So for me, it was really just about seeing what people needed, what gaps existed in the infrastructure and how can we help? And that was it.
0: You mentioned that uh, you don't organize around elections at Rising Organizers. Correct. I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that choice and what that has meant for the kind of training that you provide and, you know, where where you see the distinctions between the training you provide and uh, elections organizing training being?
2: We thought really hard about how to bring something new to the organizing space. We did not intend on getting started as an organization, a real organization at all. We didn't even become a nonprofit called Rising Organizers until 2018, which is a full almost two years after our first training. And part of that was because we were extremely deliberative about not wanting to replicate anything in the space. Part of us because there's a lot of organizations out there. We don't need to be here if we're not helpful. Part of it is that we wanted to center organizers of color and make sure that we weren't creating something that they had already created. And the place where we kept landing was that though every training institute in this country will say, and very rightfully, that they train new people. There was no one out there whose infrastructure was designed for new people. That is a different thing. And so we wanted to figure out how we could wave the giant banner of, hey, you're new, start here. So that every time someone asks, as you all did, what can I do after a crisis? I wanna be the answer to that question. And so we structured our whole organization around that. And part of that meant centering around issues because the individual issues are the th- in people's lives are the things that motivate them to get started. And also there's tons of electoral organizing out there on all sides from every direction known to God or man. And we have, we have a C4, we can do, which is for your non-tax law people, you know, advocacy-based stuff. We can do that kind of work, but it's already out there. And so we wanted to be really specific as to how we could really be additive to the space. Now, that comes with challenges, right? There's a reason why electoral trainings are really well-funded, and we, frankly, are not. Um, because it's easier for people to understand. It's easier for people to say, oh, there's a date that I have in my head and I can just move toward that thing. But the argument that I'm trying to make, that we're trying to make is that, again, the world we're trying to build, will we stop feeling like, do you guys feel good about democracy right now? Does anybody? Don't you wanna stop feeling like this, right? Like the only way we're gonna get there is if we are doing long-term planning long-term organizing and stop thinking as organizing uh, of elections rather as being the cure all for our problems when actually they are abandoned on a wound that is bleeding and if we want to address that if we want to address the fact that our politics is responsive to corporations and not everyday people, if we want to be responsive to the role that inequality and income inequality and racial inequality has played in putting us in this democratic crisis, if we want to solve those problems, that takes long-term issue organizing. And so that is what we wanted to focus on because it was a gap in the ecosystem and we think it's it's how we're gonna get where we're trying to go, which I hope answers your question.
1: Yeah. So then let's talk a little bit about resiliency, because, you know, it's, it's really easy to sort of throw yourself into the last month of a campaign and then it's over and you can go cry or celebrate or whatever. But but you're done. Exactly. And you sort of wash yeah. your hands over it. How do you just keep going and keep going? And you said earlier, you're going to lose and lose and lose until you win. How do you keep going when you're losing? How do you keep going knowing that this is a fight that is just ahead of you? for a very, very long time.
2: I think this is another reason why I'm so passionate about movement work rather than electoral mobilization um, and turnout work, which is also really important, right? I'm not here to say that stuff's not important. Um, I'm just here to say that there's more things that are also important. And when you're in movement work, if you're doing it well, which not everybody has the opportunity to, So you should come to a rising organizers training and we'll teach you about it. If you're doing movement work well, then you are part of a community of people that help sustain you. And that is something that is an additive benefit to doing this long-term systems work. That is not part of the, we show up every two years, maybe we do some stuff for three months. We knock on some strangers doors and we go home. Um, Again, Not knocking it, I love a door knock. I do them every year. It's just not the only thing out there. And so part of what makes me resilient, and I think makes a lot of my leadership resilient, is that we have been in relationship with each other, fighting for this shared world for a long time. So I'm the only paid staff member at Rising Organizers. I've got a huge team. They're all volunteers. And all but two of them, our alumni of our fellowship program. And of those, almost all of them are from the first three fellowship classes. So 2017, 2018. So they've been around for an extraordinarily long time, not getting paid, including, I and mean, I wasn't paid until February this year, to do work, this work because they love it and because it has given them a lot and because they are in community with each other. And that is a thing that we are really good at, that even some of the best movements out there aren't that, are, are struggle with. How do you retain people? There are a lot of answers to this resiliency question. For some people, it is that the issues are so in their face all the time that they have to do it. For some people, it is that they are in relationship with people that they really care about, and so they have to do it. For other people, it is that they have to do something, and so we're gonna have to do it. Or all three of them at the same time. Any number of different options are out there. But for me, it is both the knowledge of my upbringing, that like, if we don't do this, the other the folks that disagree with us are going to, and they will win. And also that I'm able to be in community with the best people I've ever met in my life. And so I would encourage people to get out of doing this work in isolation and to do it in community with others. And I mean that not just like you're on Zoom together doing a text bank. Again, I love a text bank, but actually meeting people, finding out what they care about, figuring out how you can build the world together and doing that in concert with organizations that already exist. Don't start your new thing. I promise you the thing you care about, someone's already doing it and they can help you get where you're going and make you better. Um, But that's gonna be the key to your resiliency is having relationships Um, and a deep sense of why it is that you care.
0: I wanna ask about a nuts and bolts issue that you sort of raised, which is about how you fund an effort like this. I know that you began as a volunteer-based uh, organization and are essentially still a volunteer-based organization. I know from my own experience organizing that fundraising, especially when you're dealing with the less popular or less sort of like headline version of an issue can be really difficult. I'm curious how you approached that challenge when you decided you would need to fundraise and what you guys did to strategize around that concern.
2: Like I said, we did not intend on creating an organization. I think if we had, if I knew in 2016, what I knew now, I probably could have raised a lot more money off the bat, but I didn't know any of that stuff. I was 27 and I was just screaming into the void. We decided to become an organization because the need was there. People just kept coming. And so it just became clear that we needed to be able to raise money for snacks, uh, for, for flip charts, um, these big white pieces of paper that we run trainings on. It just became clear that we needed a mechanism for that. And then still wasn't clear that we needed to have staff, but we just kept growing and people just keep coming. And i feel like this tells you a lot about me, but if there's a meet a need, I'm going to meet it. And so it was on me to figure out how to do that. On all of us, but I, by virtue of my experience, but also frankly, by virtue of my many economic privileges, I'm basically the only person who's able to take on the economic risk that comes with being a first-time executive director. So here I am. And and also nobody else wants it. They're all like, you're great at your job. I don't want to do any of that stuff, but you have fun and I can work with that. So funding has been challenging because I think part of what we're trying to do is kind of esoteric. And part of that's on me. I have to become a better fundraiser, figure out how to explain this this complicated stuff to people who don't understand the difference between organizing and mobilizing and all these vocab words no one ever asked to learn. Um, and part of it is a shift that is really happening right now. We are at a moment in our democracy where the quote-unquote, normal ways of interfacing with our leaders are no longer at our disposal. Between Citizens United making it so that there's so much money in politics that that is the primary influence, and the Supreme Court effectively gutting the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act over the last decade, and they will continue to do so this year, we are in a moment where I hope to God people are thinking about how to build democracy, in a more long-term and strategic way, because just getting folks out to vote is not going to be enough. When, if and when—let's be honest—it's when the Supreme Court decides to over to let elections, dec- states decide the outcomes of elections on their own, which is basically what they're going to do, probably. And that means we need different ways of engaging in our democracy and different ways of being able to retain and fight for our rights. So I'm. I've seen this happen, this change start to happen at organizations that do this work in particular. A lot of our funding comes from a fee-for-service model. Organizations will hire us to train their staff because they wanna learn how to organize because what used to be, if we just make a better argument, we'll win, doesn't work anymore because American democracy is broken, to put it lightly right now. And also, So that's part of it is that there's a structural change that is happening, and I'm seeing that in the folks who hire us. I'm also hoping that that will start to happen in the way that funders approach this work. I don't know, but I'm hoping it. I think that, you know, their conservative activists have a lot of resources on their side. They have done power building in their communities all the time and that is how we end up in a situation where like none of us really want to have did you guys see this news yesterday that girls in florida to play sports have to report on their menstrual cycles oh my god yes right nobody wants that (laughs) no but they still want because they have power and So I think that we're starting to think about that in a new way. And I will say also that as part of conservatives having more resources at their disposal, I don't just mean um, the money. I also mean that there is a $5 million conservative organizing training school that nobody has ever heard of that trains people for free on how to do this stuff. And there is nobody else doing that on the social justice, pro-democracy side of the aisle, except for us every other training is either about elections or is paid or both. We are the only people that are doing free grassroots organizing for people who are new. That's it. Um, and so is, if again, you're a
1: billionaire listening.
2: <laughs> please help me, help me. I'm just trying to save democracy and help the young people. Thank you. Anyway, so all that is to say, uh, that's a very long answer, but all that is to say um, we've had a lot of, really long strategic conversations about how to make sure that we were not being duplicative, how we're being helpful, how to learn how to do this fundraising thing in the first place. And it is very much an ongoing journey.
1: All right. So I think we've convinced people that this is important training that they should be doing. So how can people join, get trained by you and, or give money to you?
2: (laughs) Great questions all around. So it's 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 giving season friends it's giving giving season um so we would love if your listeners could support the organization like i said i'm the only full-time staff member i and we are trying to do some pretty ambitious work and grow really fast and so the more that your listeners and your listeners friends don't limit yourself, can help us, the better. So folks can go to our website, which is risingorganizers.org, and there is a donate button at the top of the screen. You can click on that and help us out. That would be the best. If you can be donate something that is meaningful to you, I will be forever grateful. There actually is a picture of Hannah with her bullhorn on the front page of our website. So you can be like, oh, I know that story. So that's on the one end. In terms of how to get trained, but there's also on our website uh, at the top of the menu bar, it says, join us. That is how you can sign up for our email list. And our email list is the best way to learn about our public trainings. We have three public offerings. We have our fellowship program, which is unfortunately only for the DC area. Again, this is why we're trying to grow so we can have them in Chicago and in New York and LA and all the other fun places. And also, you know, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. We also have programs that are more accessible to people because they are online, and that is our public trainings program, where we teach individual training skills over the course of an hour, usually. Sometimes we'll do a longer boot camp around something, and our community engagement work, which is political education, helping people identify organizations that are already doing the work that they care about, and actually getting them to work, because I am not interested in you knowing what organizing is, I'm interested in you going to do the thing. Um, Training is a vehicle that gets you to the other, to the next step, not an end within itself. And so that is the best way for folks to keep up on what we're doing to learn more about how they can get organized and just to learn more about the organization.
1: Well, thank you. This was great. And obviously, you know, great minds think alike. We, we've got all these very, um, important uh, motivations in common, so I'm, I'm thrilled that you're doing the work that you're doing.
2: Right back at you. Thanks for listening to What Can I Do? You can find show notes and credits for this episode at whatcanidopodcast.com. To the best of our knowledge, all audio used by What Can I Do is in the public domain or used with permission. Original artwork is by Matthew Weflin and used with express permission. You can find us on Twitter at What Can I Do Pod. To contact us with questions or guest suggestions, please email hello at What Can I If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review and tell your friends.